I just wanted to just talk. I mean, I don't want to talk about, you know, everything that you've normally been taught about because everybody talks to you about the same stuff. Mm-hmm. I want you to go off and just be Kevin, not Kevin Estella, the wonderful wanderer of the world, not Kevin Estella, the fieldcraft survival instructor, not Kevin Estella. I just want you to be Kevin. Yeah. And that, that's what we're going for today is, is just totally chill, laid back conversation, because I think this is a portion, I mean, everybody gets to talk to you and they talk about your survival stuff and they talk about your fieldcraft stuff. Everybody talks about that, but nobody talks to Kevin about just being Kevin. Yeah, you got it. And I would like to have people know who Kevin is. Yeah. I'm not going to do my traditional introduction because, you know, I'm recording this and I'm, don't really know how to do it after I'm going to record. So it's just if people hear it the way it is, the way I started it, then let them be, and I'll I'll fill an intro in later. So Kevin, yes, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? Uh, not much. It's a Monday. I just had my coffee and loaded up on caffeine. I'll probably get another one shortly after this. And uh, had a good weekend of just laying low and doing a few things uh, in the great outdoors and just doing a little bit of writing and just hanging out, man. It's another Monday. I'm just getting ready to, to head out to Overland Expo uh, Mountain West. So packing up some stuff and just the usual, right? Like we joke about, you know, not being Kevin the Fieldcraft guy or the survival guy, but so much of my life is and so much of who I am is basically being the person that people think I am. Like, so if, I, if I'm talking about having, you know, a bourbon here and there, yeah, that's me. If I talk about carrying a gun, that's also me. Like, it, it is what it is. So just a typical Monday, uh, going through the motions, getting my, my stuff ready to go before I head out of town. Right on. See, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. What you see on the Internet is pretty much what you're going to get in the real world. Yeah, there's a lot of phonies out there, a lot of jokers that post up these personalities on, online. And, you know, when you meet them or you run across them, you're like, you are a total douchebag. Uh, and, or, you know, you're an asshole. And, and I mean that in the nicest way. <laughs> uh, you know, there are a lot of folks that want to be seen as, as one thing. And they paint this picture. And in Instagram and social media, everything's edited, right? Um, but when you meet someone and there's no camera around, then you really get an idea of, of who they are. Um, and my favorite thing is when someone meets me and they're like, you're exactly like you are online. I'm like, yeah, I'm not someone like this is what I do. And, oh, you actually know how to do that? Yeah, that's why I posted that. You know, like, so yeah, I, I, laugh, I laugh when I meet some folks when I, and I smile and some people say something and it's like, isn't that how we should be? Yeah, I've always prided myself on, you know, when you see me dress up in stupid shit, I really do wear that stupid shit. You know, when, when I make a joke and it's stupid, that's literally a joke I would make in real life. I mean, you don't, I don't want to put out a false persona because the people that I have met have all been, you know, kind of the same way. You know, you're as genuine as you are on the internet. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't have enough trouble being me. I don't need to create a a second me to, to to fit in into the internet world. If you don't like it, don't follow. If you don't like it, don't like it. I don't I don't care. I, I don't have the time to 
to try and fit into somebody else's social construct. I've got enough trouble being my own social construct. Yeah, and at some point, people start believing their own nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, they, they create a lie that is so grand that they actually start believing that lie, and they forget where they started to, to uh, you know, try to live this life that they don't actually do. So, well, and, and, you know, and that usually catches them out when they have to, when, when somebody calls them on it and say, you know, be who you are, and they can't do that. Yeah, for sure. You know, we were... Okay, we're going to go down that little survival path for a minute. You know, we met um, uh, 14, 15 years ago. You were still teaching, and you were on Ramanong. That's how far back I remember seeing your name, and and we talked a few times. I even think we did a, a business deal at some point back in those days. But I always followed the stuff that you did with a with a a little bit different you know take. It's like this guy actually knows what he's talking about, as opposed to some of these guys that are like, "Oh, he uses a ferrocium rod." Well, like, to me, even back then when I was first getting into it, felt stupid. I only have just one way of doing it. And you know, as as times progressed, and you're doing what you're doing now, you're pretty much adhering to the same principles that you started with when I first, you know, started to interact with you and seeing the stuff that you were putting up, you know, and and to me, it just kind of goes to show that you're not a faddish individual. You go with what works and you stay with what works. You may augment it or you may subtract here and there, but it's still the same, same thing. You know, you, although your business model or your, not business model, but your, your, your lifestyle has changed with, you know, your, change of employment and everything you're still the same guy you were when i first met you and i think that speaks volumes to to your your upbringing and to your your uh personal ethos of how you want to progress as a human being you know i just i i appreciate it because there's so few people out there these days that are who they were I mean, they've grown up, of course, but you can still see that core and that, that basic structure. And you, I, I appreciate the hell out of that about you. Well, well, thank you. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, like with what I carry and the things that I'm into, it, it comes from training, right? It comes from experience. It comes from, uh, you know, putting in a lot of reps with the gear that I carry, you know? And if I just speak to the, the gear itself, like I recently did a, a video for Blade HQ where like, oh, a survivalist EDC and you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm pulling out of my pockets, they're like, well, what can we tie to what we sell as the company? I'm like, well, I know you sell that Swiss Army knife, and I know you sell this, and I know, but you know, a lot of what I showed in that video was stuff that was uh, stuff that you can find in my pockets. And if you look back 15 years, you're still going to find that same stuff there. Um, some of the stuff wasn't included in the video that I normally carry because it's it's not a product uh, that they they have, but. You know, for something to change out of my daily carry, it really has to present something that's that's exceptionally better, right? Like uh, when I moved from Connecticut to Utah, you know, I was carrying in Connecticut a, a Glock 48, and I've been a long Glock stand for a very long time. And even though you know the company that I work for has a deal with Sig, I still carry a Glock most of the time because that's what I have the most reps on. And when I moved to Utah, I went from a Glock 48 to a, either a Glock 17 or a Glock 19, depending on what I'm doing, just because it does offer something better and that's more capacity. So 
when I look at what I carry, it's got to it's got to make sense. And I'm not carrying things just to to get paid. You know, like there are certain things that I have that you know I might get a residual uh, payment for, but it's stuff that I've used for years and years and years, and I'm finally seeing like, oh, I can get you know 20 bucks on a check. Cool. You know, that pays for a little bit of gas in this economy. Uh, and as far as why I'm very similar to the way that I, I was 15, 20 years ago is because of the quality of the training. You know, when I started in Filipino martial arts and SIOC, it really changed the way that I view the gear that I carry and how I carry it. When I worked with the Wilderness Learning Center and my late mentor, Marty, you know, Marty always preached a, a certain way of, of, you know, teaching skills and practicing skills and how to be prepared. And again, for me to turn my back on that training I would have to find training that is so much greater or better and I haven't yet. And I don't think I ever will. And, and I'm totally fine with that because that training that I've had so far has gotten me to the point where I am and it's going to take me to the next level. So, you know, when people say, well, you know, you really aren't into, you know, the new version of that. It's like, nope, the old version is working just fine. And I don't see that great of an improvement from one generation to the next, you know, so that's why I am the way I am. And you see, there's there's something to be said about solid training structure that doesn't need to really change, but it can adapt to current stuff. I mean, starting a fire does not change. You're, you're never you, – there's so many – I mean, there's a finite amount of things that need to start a fire. You know, you need heat, combustible source, and fuel. Well, mm-hmm. you can do that a million ways now. I mean, uh, all my Swiss Army knives, I have one of those uh, fire ant ferocium rods that goes where the toothpick would go. Mm-hmm. Um, those tortoise gear things are really cool, but for me, they are a last ditch because they're so tall or they're so tiny and they're so thin. I feel like I'm going to snap one, and if I was really you know, screwed, I'd probably break it. Uh, but it's nice to have. But you know, I, I adhere to um, – the whole one is none, two is one, three is just about enough theory. So, of course, I've got a lighter, a ferocium rod, and then a third way to start a fire of some kind, probably a, a second lighter. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I just don't, I don't see any reason to take what works and take it apart and try and make it better when you can take what works and augment it a little bit just for you. I mean, the core principles are the same. It's like the, the four basic firearms handling skills. They will never change. Right. But I mean, you, you're going to like, – we, we just taught a, a class not too long ago, and if anything, they're going to be augmented. Uh, like something will be added to them. But, you know, the whole idea of don't let your muzzle cross anything that you're not willing to destroy, I always add or pay for <laughs> Because, you know, from the hunting perspective, there are a lot of folks out there that go and maybe you're, you're traveling overseas and you're doing this epic safari and you're doing something where you're, uh, you're doing like professional culling, you know, where you're part of an organization, part of the professional hunters that are going out to take a certain number of impala off the land or wildebeest or whatever it may be. Well, you may have a rifle with you and they, your professional hunter might say, well, you're going to shoot that third impala from the left. And if you swing that rifle past the second Impala from the left, and it happens to be a trophy-grade Impala, not the one that needs to be taken from the land, now you're going to have to pay for it, right? But the whole concept of never let your muzzle cross anything you're not willing to destroy, that's true. 
But especially for a hunter, you need to think, okay, if we're talking trophy weights, if you're not willing to pay for that thing, do not, <laughs> you know, because you might wound it and you're still paying for it. Like, don't cross that muzzle over, over something you're not willing to pay for. Yeah. My my kids have come to understand. I, I used the, the bullet analogy with them when they were younger. Once it leaves the muzzle, no matter what you do, you can't bring it back. Right. And it has a lawyer's name attached to it. Yeah. And I, so I, I taught them the same thing when they get on the internet. The minute you put it out there, you can't bring it back. Same right. thing with how they talk to each other. The minute you put it out there, no matter how many times you say sorry, you can't bring those words back. Right. So uh, what's the other expression? You can't unring a bell. <laughs> yeah, you cannot unring a bell. No, no. And and I've I've used I mean, all my kids understand firearm safety. They understand that if it goes off, whatever's coming out the end of the barrel is usually going to destroy or severely damage anything it hits. So my kids have grown up around them. I mean, my my all my kids were raised around firearms and they're all just like it's natural to see one in the house. It's natural to know where the safes are. It's natural to see dad walking around with one because that's what dad does for a living. He's he's armed for a living. So it's no big deal for them. But they're also the you know um nobody touches them except dad unless he gives us permission. You know, and then he makes sure that everything's safe, or we make sure that everything's safe when we check with him. And so my kids, are, my kids are really good about it. And it it bothers me that I see these other firearms enthusiasts that aren't really taking the time to show their kids just how simple it is to be safe around a firearm. And that is really the, it is not hard. It is stupid simple. It takes 15 minutes to get a kid to understand this is dangerous if you do this, this, and this. Yeah, at and the uh, at the Sig Academy, uh, Sig Academy has a very extensive safety brief before every single class. And what they do is they put the two most important rules up at the very top, number one and two, and they say muzzle management, trigger finger discipline. And they harp on those two, and they say, look, if you violate one and not the other, or I should say one and not a combination of the two, you're going to be fine, right? So you can have, and I'm saying you can, you shouldn't, but you can you can have terrible trigger finger discipline as long as you have muzzle management, right? You might put a round into the dirt, you might put a round into your buddy's target, um, but it's gonna cause minimal property damage and zero personal injury, right? You can, you can live with that. You're gonna definitely get shamed from your firearm, and shame is a great motivator, but you can live with that. Now, if you have terrible uh, muzzle management but great trigger finger discipline, then you might end up sweeping something Oh boy, right? And that's going to cause toxic factor. People are going to freak out, but people are going to go home to their loved ones at night. So they say, as long as you do not violate both of those, but you at least respect one of them, everyone goes home to their families. You know what I mean? And then they obviously go over the other, you know, rules of firearms discipline. You know, know the status of your firearm and things like that. But uh, but those are the two. You know, and so when people are like, oh, there are four things my kid needs to remember, it's like stop. Focus on those two first. You show them what mm-hmm. to do and are, that's all they need. That's all kids only need to know two things. And they've learned stop, drop, and roll. That's three. Right? Uh, back in the day they learned duck and cover. I was just two. getting ready to say duck and cover for tornadoes, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, run, hide, fight. Like they, they they're learning that in school. So if someone says, Oh, they can't learn those three, they've learned two before and they're gonna learn more than that. So that's yeah. uh that's how I view firearm safety. Like I would I would on those two 
yeah, if you ask my, my nine-year-old son what's the most important thing about a firearm and handling it, he says, keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot it. Right, right. And this yeah. is a nine-year-old kid who knows more than most adults that I know. And it's not because I sat down and I beat it into his head. But every time we sit on the back porch and we shoot BB guns and I got to go down and rehang targets, I was like, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to set the rifle to the side. I'm going to put it on safe, and I'm not going to touch it until you come back. And then when you do, I'm going to pick it back up. I'm going to acquire my target, take it off safe, and then I'm going to shoot my target. Well, there you go. Yeah. By the way, that's so Americana, like sitting in the backyard shooting cans of air guns. So yeah. Americana. Yeah. He's got, a red, he's, he's got the 75th anniversary Red Rider BB gun. He got that for Christmas one year. And uh, he loves it. And then I went to a gun show not too long ago, and this guy had a box of air pistols. And um, there were probably 10 in there. And I didn't need all 10 because some of them were just, just horribly broken. And most of them were those old Crossman 1911 lookalikes. You remember those? Yeah, it was my first air pistol. Uh, it was yeah. actually a Daisy. Yeah, sorry, Daisy. Yeah. Uh, I think Crossman. Power, power line. That I was the name Crossman. of the series. I think Crossman owns them now. I can't remember what, but there, some of them were just so disheveled and beat up. It was like, ah, there's no point. But I ended up picking up four of them for 10 bucks for all four. I brought them home, oiled them up, and he now has uh, like a 22, like a Ruger Mark IV or Mark II looking thing, and he can cock it, and, he's, and then he's got the, the other two that he's taped the barrels so you can't put the BBs in it. He's taped it. So he uses those as his, uh, his play guns and I've, I've goon taped them. So you, you, you definitely know they won't shoot. Um, and then he's got another one that runs off a of CO2. And he, I mean, he just loves to go out in the backyard and he won't do it unless I'm with him. Cause you know, he's got his own little gun safe and all those are locked up in his gun safe. So he can only get to them after he gets asks me for the key and it's fine. You know, he's he's proud that he has his own safe, just like dad. And he, and my oldest daughter, she's she loves to shoot. She's just not – I mean, she just turned 16, so it's kind of like uh, there's other things on her mind right now. Uh, she's a junior in high school, so she's definitely got other things on her mind. Yeah, she's but, back to guns at some point. Well, she was talking to me the other day. She was talking about wanting her own AR, her own AR pistol, and my wife was like, no. It's like, that's going to be super easy. I'll just give you one of mine, and mom will never know. And then my my youngest daughter, she's she can shoot. She just she's she's kind of my wild card. We don't know where she's going. Um, they love to sit out in the in the driveway though. All three of them love to go get those uh, fire plugs. Oh, who makes those? They make the uh, fire strip. Pro, Pro Camp Tech. Yes, those fire plugs are awesome. Um, I replaced all of my. I replaced all of my, my fire tinder, like my, t- my tinder quakes and everything with those fire plugs because I just, I liked them that much more. Not saying there's anything wrong with the, you know, the, the tinder quakes or anything like that, but I just really like the fire plugs. And my kids like the fire plugs. We went to Colorado, I think it was two, last year, some, sometime last year. And we went hiking up a couple of 14 years and stuff. And I was like, well, you know, if we're going to go, you guys need to learn how to start fires. So I gave them all ferrosium rods and little, you know, mini bics and like now you need tinder. So I gave them some of those things. And for two days, all they could do is sit in the front yard and learn how to use the ferrosium rods and fluff up those, 
those fire plugs and then use other stuff. And then they made little fires all in the front yard. And they're like, okay, we're good to go. I said, you think that now we're at a thousand feet above sea level here where we live, we're going to be, you know, 14, 15,000 feet where we're going. Fires are going to be a little bit different to start at altitude because there's less oxygen. You have to work a little bit harder. Yeah. Different wood too. Oh yeah. I like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be using uh, all sorts of different stuff and, said, you know, here, most of the stuff we have around it where we live is all hardwoods. And, you know, there's a lot of pine trees around here. And pine is amazing to get to get going. You don't want to cook with it, but it's a good it's a good wood to get a fire started. I, uh, my kids didn't understand that until I, I showed them, you know, those pine burns are going to black that, that. That's all tar being burned out of the wood that will make anything you eat taste like crap. Unless you're just trying to boil water. And you yeah, know, I've noticed that over the years that uh, that guys, when they get into fire starting and they don't understand tree identification, they're just going to try to lighting anything on fire, and they're not going to understand that there's a correct time and a place to use, say, like a, like a twig bundle, or like a softwood twig bundle. gets things going really fast, but you don't want to use that all night because you'll be hunting down firewood all night, right? So you'd want to transition to something like an oak or, or a maple or a beech, right? All good hardwoods. Um, but, again, that's a learning curve. And the interesting thing is, like, if you're camping, car camping, or even, you know, just a, a low-risk backpacking camping trip, if you make that mistake, you'll learn from it, but it's not going to kill you, you know? So I'm often okay with letting people say, oh, I've got all this great firewood, and I look at the, the pile of firewood, and it's all pine. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> right? uh, I didn't say yep. it's good firewood, but it is firewood. So yeah, you, you've got the concept of gathering and collecting them. Now you need to work on your quality. Exactly. So my my kids, when they go to the park, they always come back. My oldest came back not too long ago. She brought this big old thing of big old thing of, of pine tar that she pulled off of a tree. She's like, Dad, look at what I found. I was like, I am so impressed. What are you going to use that for? She goes, Well, we're going to boil it down and we're going to make some pine or some pine pucks. Okay, because I did this a long time ago. I mean, I, I found some pine tar and I boiled it down and you know rendered it into these basic. And I used those little ketchup cups from like Arby's or Brahms or whatever popular restaurant you go to. And I poured it into that, and it made like little tiny hockey pucks of pine pitch. And it was hard as a rock. And she did it all by herself. I mean, I just gave her the the, the double boiler and stuff to do it with. And she's like, look, I did it. And then now she knows how to break it off. And melt it down and mix it. And it's just she's learned how to make glue, and all because she got bored one day. And my youngest was like, "Hey, Dad, is this stuff good to start fire with?" And it was it was um, birch bark. Yeah. I was like, "Hell yeah, it's good to start fire with." So I mean, it. My kids are learning, and I, I dig it immensely. I'm, I'm proud of them for doing it. You know, I just, these are skills that I had to learn because, you know, my dad didn't teach me any of that. Uh, he wasn't an outdoorsman by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and neither was my mom. So they were, they were pretty much indoorsy kids. So I had to learn all this stuff as I got older, just by, you know, reading books and then thinking, oh, well, this might work and a lot of trial and error. And uh, a lot of, of, a lot of phone calls to fire departments from my neighbors. That's part of growing up too, right? Like you're going to, if you don't, 
If you're doing something like lighting fires in the backyard, you're probably not telling your neighbors you're lighting fires in the backyard because they would tell your parents. So well, yeah, it usually goes hand in hand. Well, see, my parents knew it's just that they didn't mind so much. It was just some of my nosy neighbors got a little freaked out when, you know, the entire creek behind our houses would be full of smoke. And they're like, uh, hmm, what's going on here? Oh, it's just Eric burning wet leaves playing Rambo. Because, you know, I couldn't get smoke grenades, and what creates a lot of smoke? Wet leaves. So <laughs> I would fill the back or fill the creek with wet leaves and go charging through it to attack the enemy in their trench lines or whatever. And, of course, the fire department would show up. And the, the best story is all the fire, you know, all the admin in the town I lived in, all the fire, fire guys knew who I was by the time I was probably 13 years old. And then one of them, who I'm still friends with his kids to these day, to this day, um, they're, they're both firefighters. He ended up bringing me home after I set the creek on fire one day. And my mom and dad were like, oh, my gosh. He said, well, I found this lighter on him, and he, hands, he pulls out a Zippo that I had. And my mom and dad were like, well, let's go get the rest of them and give them to you. They gave him like 15 Zippos that I collected. I used my own money and went and bought Zippos or something. 12 years old, nobody cared. Trying to buy a Zippo now at 12 years old, they're not going to sell it to you. It doesn't make any sense, but hey, whatever. And uh, when I turned 18, I got all those lighters back. It was so weird. Yeah, sometimes you make good friends like that. Well, yeah. Dwight and his, like his, his boys are really good. I mean, salt-of-the-earth people and, and – I've been blessed with meeting some really salt of the earth people, and I've been not so blessed with meeting some less than stellar people, of course. But you got to take good with the bad, I guess. So, Kevin, I'm gonna have to cut this one short because I got a bounce. Um, yeah, I can I can tell you, you're like rambling over there. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually getting dressed. Yeah, no worries, man. So I would love to do this again when you get uh, some more time. Oh, I've got all the time in the world. Sounds like you're the one that's that's running over there. I'm just hanging out here, drinking my coffee. <laughs> yeah, I I do have a lot going on these days. What are you doing tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow, I think I'm going to be doing another podcast. I got uh, a knife maker that told me that he'll make himself available, so we're going to be talking about a collaboration night that we're doing. And uh, other than that, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff. i got to prep for uh, expo so i'll probably be packing up but uh i don't know we'll we'll coordinate maybe when i get back from that expo okay because you know i got tomorrow off too because i'm taking today's today's my birthday so i decided to take off okay um i took tomorrow off too because you know one day to party one day to recover when you get older that's the way you gotta roll yeah i don't really party anymore either i, I quit drinking like three and a half years ago, and I've never looked back. I didn't recover like I wanted to, so it was better to just stop. Yeah. You know, when you wake up the next morning and all you had was three drinks, and you wake up the next morning feeling like you had 20. I can't I can't do that. But I would love to sit down and keep going, because I, I think people are really going to enjoy just having a general conversation. I don't like to do traditional interviews. If you've kind of figured that out. Yeah. So now, what's what's the name of the podcast? Misfunctional Disfits. That's right. Misfunctional Disfits. 
yeah, yeah, because totally there's no there's no rhyme or reason to how I do things. So of course I'm going to misspell it and make it purposeful. I just I like the organic idea. You know, we just sit down and we talk and we just let the conversation go where it goes. Mm-hmm. That way you can't really fuck anything up. I mean, I might have a specific question or two in there, but still, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and the short podcasts are the way to go, I think. Yeah, yeah, the shorter the better. So, Kevin, super stoked we finally got together. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, and, yeah. and hopefully people enjoy this, and I would love to do it again. So let's coordinate and try and set up another one maybe with, you know, we, we do something and we, we kind of bounce – questions off each other. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get it done. All right, Kevin. I appreciate your time, brother. Yeah. You too. Take care. Bye later.